You're listening to Beauty and Impact, the show that gets valuable insights from changemakers disrupting the norms of beauty, wellness, and sustainability. We tackle topics like the impacts of beauty ingredients on our health and the environment, where people of color fit into the clean beauty conversation, sustainable beauty solutions, and so much more. We're your hosts and sisters, environmental activist Ashley Renee Insanwu and clinical skincare industry insider Jasmine Hill, here to bring you all the green tea on sustainable beauty. Let's get into it. Hey, hey, hope you're having a beautiful day. Welcome back to the Beauty and Impact Podcast. It's our final show of the season. I feel like our first season just flew by. So we have a dope episode for you. I got to chat with beauty influencers, EA Baco, creator of EA Loves Life, and Francesca Murray, aka One Girl, One World. In this final episode... We look at the past, present, and future of beauty and sustainability to see how much has changed since we were kids. Our guests have grown up in the U.S., but like us, they're rooted in other cultures, so we had a lot to chat about how our cultural identities have impacted how we define beauty and what we're hoping to see in the future in the beauty industry for people of color. But before I get into all of that, you know the drill. Let's dish on the latest sustainability headlines, as well as my beauty pick of the week. Jazz is on spring break right now, super jelly, so it'll just be me. So first, let me kick it off with my product pick. All right, so beauty pick of the week. Really, I just have a little update for y'all. I've told you in previous episodes, I'm on a slow mission to transition a lot of my beauty and body care products to refillables. A couple episodes back, I told you I was getting ready to run out of deodorant and trying to figure out a refillable brand to replace it with. After doing a ton of research, I went with the Bite brand. It made the most sense for me because I'm already a huge fan of their brand. And when I compared them to other refillable deodorant brands, I just felt like their commitment to being an ethical brand was unmatched in my opinion. Plus, I have the refillable toothpaste tablets, which I've been using for years. So now I'm just able to add my refillable deodorant to the order, which lowers my carbon footprint, right? Because these items are now being shipped together. And if I'm being totally honest, I'll say the final deciding factor when I was trying to make my final decision was actually a statement on their website that just really resonated with me. And it made me feel like they understood me as a customer and what I believe in. And this is what it said. We believe the earth is not ours to keep, but to protect for future generations. We believe that animals are not ours to test on or to use as ingredients. See, that really resonated with me because unlike a lot of beauty brands who only focus on animal testing, I like that they acknowledged that animals shouldn't be used as ingredients either. I'm not really the type of person to be loyal to any one brand, but I say Bite is one of the few that just, I I feel it really embodies my values and they also create products that really work and it keeps me coming back. So that's what I went with. All right. So now let's get into sustainability headlines. Okay. So sustainability news. I've been dying to talk about this with y'all. Did you see the clip of NASA scientist Peter Kalmus and a handful of other scientists chaining themselves to the doors of Chase Bank in downtown Los Angeles? Yeah, they were protesting the bank's continued funding of fossil fuels. And Peter in particular gave a chilling speech that went viral. 
I'm going to play just a little snippet for you. Here it is. So I'm here because scientists are not being listened to. I'm willing to take a risk for this gorgeous planet. For my sons. And we've been trying to warn you guys for so many decades that we're heading towards a fucking catastrophe. And we've been being ignored. The scientists of the world have been being ignored. And it's got to stop. We're going to lose everything. And we're not joking. We're not lying. We're not exaggerating. This is so bad, everyone, um, that we're willing to take this risk. And more and more scientists and more and more people are going to start joining us. Oh, okay. Talk about chills. Okay. I got chills. I'm not going to lie. And, and, and they were arrested for this, y'all. So Green Matters did an article on the protest and they wrote one line that I feel sums up my frustration with this pretty eloquently. They wrote, just by speaking up for what they believe in, rather what they know is true, climate scientists and activists take huge risks every day as so many powerful entities are prepared to do anything to keep the public from knowing the truth about climate change. Y'all, scary times we're in. And this comes on the heels of the release of the UN's third and final IPCC report, which stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Now, this report warns us all that we have three years to avoid the most devastating impacts of climate change. This outlook for our planet, according to these reports, is not pretty and not enough people are talking about it, especially the media. Like, why is the media not covering this? This is important. However, there is one takeaway from the report that leaves me with some hope, which is the statement that there is significant untapped potential in populations adopting lifestyle changes to reduce emissions. So to everyone listening, hear me loud and clear when I say it can be done. It's not too late to save our beautiful planet. But according to the hundreds of scientists who wrote this report, we all have to do our part. We all have to talk to our friends, our family, and social networks about this, and we have to do it now. All right, so on that note, let's uh, switch to something a little bit more uplifting. It is time for the main event, our chat with Francesca and EA. So let me tell you a little bit about these two phenomenal women. Francesca is a California-based beauty and travel expert who shares beauty, natural hair, fashion, and lifestyle tips for women on the go. She's fluent in French and conversational in Spanish. She's a baddie. Known for her curly natural hair, she is passionate about encouraging self-love and believes that life is a journey, so why not travel in style? She's a proud Afro-Latina with Honduran Garifuna roots. Francesca is also a professional journalist and on-camera host, and she's someone I met online but eventually became friends with in real life. And then there's EA Baco, a vegan skincare and beauty lover, plant-based foodie, and social justice advocate who believes in fighting for total liberation for both humans and non-human animals. She's a founding advisory board member of Plant the Power 614, a local grassroots nonprofit organization that seeks to cultivate a caring plant-based community for people of color that demonstrates unconditional love for ourselves, other animals, and our world. She's originally from Nigeria, raised in the U.S., and currently resides in Columbus, Ohio. So without further ado, here we go. EA 
Francesca. Thank you both for joining us today. I think it's special that all four of us grew up here in the U.S., but we all come from families with different ethnic backgrounds. Francesca, you're Afro-Latina with Honduran Garifuna roots. EA, you're originally from Nigeria. And Jasmine and I are the daughters of an Indian mom and a Jamaican Black American dad. So I want to kick this off by asking you, how have your cultural identities impacted the way you define beauty norms? And Francesca, we'll start with you. Yeah, so my grandma was Garifuna. And for those who don't know, Garifuna are an Afro-Indigenous group that originated in St. Vincent in the Caribbean. And one special thing about our people is that we were never enslaved. So the origins of how the Garifuna got to St. Vincent is uh, still up for debate for some people. However, when they got there, they mixed with the indigenous people. And it wasn't until the colonizers came, as usual, tale as old as time, that we, but we resisted. Uh, <laughs> we had a chief, Chatouillet, and they, he res- they resisted. Mm-hmm to the point of exile. So we were exiled from St. Vincent to Roatan, Honduras. And so that's how our people ended up in Honduras. Today is actually settlement day too. And they went from Honduras to Belize, Guatemala, et cetera. But one thing about us is that we're very proud to be black. So I think that's something that influenced the way I see beauty. Like for example, I never aspired to whiteness. I know a lot of people have that like as a part of their story and as a child they saw the Barbies with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and that was just something that we were never ashamed of who we were we were always very proud very connected to our roots and so I think that that's been like a huge blessing actually and it's not to say that I wasn't still influenced by I guess these colonial beauty standards because I did grow up here in the U.S. but it was more so colorism and texturism as opposed to like being ashamed of being Black and wanting to be white, which is something that happens in the U.S. a lot. And I really do think it's because of that heritage. Yes, it does happen here a lot. But that's great that you didn't have to go through that growing up. What about you, EA? Um, How has your cultural identity impacted the way you define beauty norms? Yes. Well, with my mom being one of my biggest influencers in my life, we always grew up, you know, not really talking about you know, beauty and beauty norms and beauty standards and things like that. But one thing that always stuck with me in our family is really how our hair is our crown. Mm -hmm. And today I still think about that a lot because two years ago when the pandemic hit, one of the things that I wanted to do was to shave my hair. And I didn't know like how much cultural significance that had for me and my family because my eldest sibling it was part of like their school uniform is they had to cut their hair and I think for my mom it kind of brings up like a traumatic memory in the sense that they didn't really have a choice about what to do with their hair it originated from poverty because they didn't want your hair to be a distraction in school like not having your hair done being the reason that you can't get your work done and you can't concentrate and things like that but like for me I see hair more of like in a western way hair to me is an accessory but I also think of the fact that having long hair is also a a feature that people associate with femininity but me coming into an understanding of what femininity comes from it comes from like a white social construct and you know people around the world you know men women and non-binary individuals should be able to wear whatever type of hairstyle that they like so I know that in my culture hair is really important and taking care of your hair is so important and I guess like for my family as well like cutting your hair 
brings kind of like negative memories back of like, you know, childhood and poverty and not really having a choice about care. But when it comes to other mm. beauty standards, like makeup, my family's never been into makeup. Um, my mom has always taught me, you know, to value, um, you know, keeping up with um, just health aspects of life to keep yourself looking you know, healthy and rejuvenated. Uh, she loves the fact that I eat a plant-based diet and knows that the plant-based diet has, you know, good qualities and aspects for my skin. And, um, you know, our beauty mm. standards are more wrapped up within our cultural clothing more than our physical appearance. Um, you know, when we live back at home, it's so important that every special occasion that you go to, you need to buy a new outfit, a new traditional outfit. If you're wearing one that you've worn before, you know, you get some sort of like side eyes and looks like that. So my mom is really happy with the fact that when we moved mm. to the U.S., you know, Nigerians are still picky about this within our own communities, but not as picky as they were back at home. So, mm. you know, for me, our beauty standards are really just wrapped up in our traditional clothing and, and ways of being and things like that. And not into like superficial things as like hair extensions and um, looks and stuff like that. But I think that's unique to our family because I've been back home to Nigeria and I think because of Western influence, people are more wrapped up in looking Western than we are in my family. Oh, yeah. That reach goes far, uh, the Western influence. Um, and what part of Nigeria is your family from? We're from Kogi State, and it's in the it's like smack dab in the middle of Nigeria. So okay. we have influence from the South and the North. Very interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, my, my husband is Nigerian, so that's why I was asking. His family is Igbo. So that's really cool. So I, I love hearing about how beauty has impacted your lives outside of like, you know, typical Western beauty standards. I just, I think that's really beautiful, especially like with you, Francesca, and what you were saying about how you know, you didn't aspire to whiteness because you were just so strong and rooted in like your culture and you guys love who you are and you're proud of who you are. So I just think that's really beautiful. Um, in an earlier episode, we chatted with the founder of Wander Beauty, Divya Gugnani, who has Indian roots about beauty rituals that were passed down from her mom. And we want to pass that same question to both of you. So Spill some tea, like what are some generational beauty traditions or passed down beauty secrets that you're willing to share with us today? And EA, we'll start with you. For me, my mom did not really get into like beauty rituals and things like that. I know like for, you know, this day and age on social media, all the beauty trends are recycled from a previous time. So one mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind is the whole slugging trend, which isn't a trend. It's been around for ages. Uh-huh. For us, we didn't use Vaseline because Vaseline, you know, it comes from petroleum, which we do refine. Uh, we have, you know, petroleum in, in Nigeria, one of the biggest, you know, oil producers. But what we use more commonly is our native shea butter. So like when I grow up, you know, massaging your entire body with shea butter was really, really common. You know, we used Vaseline as well, but I think like shea butter was that indigenous one that was super common. But when we came to the United States and I was just a baby when I came here, I was just two years old. That tradition of using shea butter didn't really carry over, but we did use, you know, uh, Vaseline here. And I think, you know, people are talking about how it's like one of those anti-aging, you know, miracle treatments that's very inexpensive. So that's like the main one that really sticks with me. Okay. So shea butter, and then you said 
petroleum jelly, like Vaseline? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And what about you, Francesca? Anything that's passed down within your culture? Yeah. So you know what? Actually, since my grandma was an immigrant, she wasn't really that focused on beauty, I think. And she had seven kids. So my mom tells me that she wasn't very into beauty or she never really saw her doing any specific rituals Mm because the goal was to survive and like have your kids assimilate. And so a lot of my mom's beauty journey has been like just figuring out what works from like American beauty standards. So that's kind of interesting that that hasn't necessarily been passed down. But I will say that on my dad's side, so my grandma, who was American from Boston, she was really into beauty. Like she was never without red lipstick. She (laughs) always smelled of perfume. And like today I'm perfume obsessed and like always looking for something that reminds me of her. Like I tend to gravitate towards the more mature since so I think just like smelling good staying hydrated and I think those are probably pretty universal like yeah. of the diaspora we just all care about not being ashy and, <laughs> and then not smelling bad so <laughs> true <laughs> yeah like my earliest memories in life are her like bathing me with yardly lavender soap and, wow like, lathering us down with lotion mm-hmm. so maybe it's not particularly like cultural yeah but it kind of is because yeah like, Black American culture is... This is, is true. It's a culture yeah. that, that counts. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, with you, because you travel, you know, you're a travel and beauty expert. Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the souvenirs that you often like to get when you travel is like a fragrance, like a perfume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds you of the place you visited, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how I build it. That is so beautiful because it's very different from the typical like shot glass or magnet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, I love that. Um, and, you know, kind of um, going back to something that EA mentioned, which was recycling trends. Um, you know, nowadays, every time when I look up, I, I feel like brands are finding new ways to monetize indigenous beauty wisdom. Um, have you seen this happen in either of your cultures where like beauty traditions have now kind of turned into Western trends? Um, Francesca, we'll start with you. Um, you know, kind of in the same vein, since the Garifuna are not very well known, most people don't even know our history or about what we do. Um, I would just revert back to just Black American culture. A lot of the yeah. things that we do are just being commodified and turned into trends, even though Mm-hmm. We all know we've been doing these things like for decades and nobody cared. And now all of a sudden someone finds out that, oh, Black people are doing this. <laughs> so true. And now it's a new thing. So Yeah. And now it's appropriate. You know, I, that's the part that really gets me is like things that Black people were traditionally made fun of for are now cool mm-hmm. when a white person does it. And I'm yeah. just like, really? But this is something that, you know, nobody liked it because it was just like a part of us and part of who we are now, all of a sudden, if like Kim Kardashian does it, it's like suddenly a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, I would say beauty wise, even like the do rag, like for Mm -hmm. us, for black people, I mean, okay, it looks cool, but it's a functional accessory. Like I cannot go to sleep without something covering my hair. It's like Mm -hmm. a necessity. So even though it looks cool to you guys who don't understand what it is, it's not a fashion accessory. It's actually a protective, like, device if you will to help like keep my hair hydrated overnight so Mm -hmm. even something like that has been completely commodified and you see bad bunny at the super bowl wearing a do-rag and it's like why (laughs) (laughs) because it looks cool Francesca. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so true okay what about you EA like what have you noticed 
I mean, I wouldn't say indigenous because when I came here, I was so small. I don't remember a lot of our indigenous customs and things like that. So mm-hmm. I will also default to like black American culture. But recently I've seen white people rebranding uh, edges as sticky bangs. I don't know if you've all heard that yet. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I yeah, it's so awful. It's the most hideous thing you've ever seen. It just looks like hair that hasn't been washed or like hair that's been sweated out and stuck to their forehead Mm. so it's not giving what it's supposed to give (laughs) and um the other one I've seen is oh how we oil our hair and scalp and like sleep in it overnight and like wash it up the next day for that you know pre-conditioning treatment so white people have now rebranded that as hair slugging what and there's a new hair slugging and I'm like I've never oiled your scalp before, oiled your hair before, and like slept with that. Like that's like a thing that happened. Wow! It just never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> Why am I even shocked right now? Well, let's dive into um, the evolution and the future of beauty, which is something that like I really am excited to talk to you ladies about. So first, I want to know how have beauty standards shifted in your eyes from our childhood to now? Because like, I know for me, it just seems like Gen Z and Gen Alpha beauty norms are very different from like what we grew up with as millennials. And I'm I'm making assumption that we're all millennials here. I know I certainly am, (laughs) but what are like some of the biggest differences that you've noticed? Like, what are some, some things that like you grew up with that now have like shifted that you've noticed, um, like for future generations, like maybe they're not having to deal with, or maybe they are having to deal with now, like what changes have, have you all seen? And EA will start with you. For me personally, and what makes me excited about Gen Z is that they're starting to embrace more body types and more gender expressiveness. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that, you know, it's not uncommon for, you know, men to wear, you know, makeup or men to use skincare or men to put on nail polish and things like that. And I'm also seeing the embrace in, you know, body shapes in the sense that, you know, there is this whole body neutrality slash body positivity movement, whichever way you want to brand it. Mm-hmm. And when we grew up, and I'm also a millennial, I'll say it was the Christina Aguilera's, it was the Britney Spears, it was, you know, being a size zero and trying to put the, you know, this, the, um, the extra, extra tight skinny jeans on. And now they're like, oh no, we're doing loose denim now we're doing wide leg and, you know, things like that, you know, make me excited, but they're trying to bring back early 2000s trends right now with mm-hmm. the, the, the Gen Z group. I'm like, no. You didn't suffer the way we suffered. Please let that stay in the past. But they they really excite me in, in, in the sense of they're embracing diversity more than yeah. we. Yeah. Um, what about you, Francesca? Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Actually, just yesterday, I went to uh, the Savage X Fenty store. Rihanna has a pop-up in a, in a mall here in LA. And I went and it was the first time that I walked into um, like a standard I don't even want to use the term standard, but I went into like a clothing store that wasn't dedicated to plus size, but at least 50% of the mannequins were plus size or curvy body types. And I, it was like a shock to my system but in a good way, because I just had never seen that before. I mean, again, a millennial here, and I grew up going to Victoria's Secret where the girls were all a size zero. And even as skinny as I was, it felt like impossible to me. So I can't imagine people with different body types like walking into a store like that of course you wouldn't feel welcome 
and walking in and just seeing like the diversity of the models and it was reflected in the customer mm-hmm. like everyone in the store there was a little bit of everybody in there shopping and having a good time and feeling good and feeling Aww. like they could find something that fit them and it was yeah. it just was really heartwarming to me to see that and i was like this is this should be the norm like there should be a little bit of everybody you should be able to walk mm-hmm. into a store and see yourself or you should be able to scroll on a website and see someone who looks like you or an Instagram page. So I just think it's great that we're getting to a place where everyone can see themselves in some way, even if it's just on social media. I think it really helps because for us, we just had TV and magazines and that was so, yeah, so uniform, that Mm -hmm. standard of beauty. So yeah, representation makes such a huge difference. I, I say it all the time, like it matters. And there's nothing like that feeling of seeing yourself reflected when you're having these shopping experiences. Like you want to, well, you want to see yourself and you want to know that, you know, that brand had you in mind when they were creating their products and you weren't being excluded. And too often times, like, especially in the beauty industry, beauty and personal care, you'll find that products are formulated without keeping in mind like other demographics, like they might be formulated specifically for um, a certain demographic. And it's unfair because that means that we have less options that are catered towards our specific issues. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more people represented in in this space. Yeah. So um, another thing that like, I'm, I'm just excited to see is just how much things are shifting for these like generations, particularly like that less pressure to, to look perfect. Like when I go to a lot of skincare websites, like I'm seeing a lot of untouched photography, which is amazing because as a millennial growing up, it was just all about perfection. It was all, all about aesthetics. Like even being an Instagram influencer, right? Like when I first got started, the most popular thing to do was to like make all of your photos extra perfect and curated and highly stylized and edited. And now Gen Z is taking over and they're all about like imperfections. So I'm just happy that like kids will have to deal with like some of these pressures that our generation had to deal with. Um, So what do you ladies predict for the future of the beauty industry? And like, what do you hope to see more of? And Francesca, we'll start with you. Well, I always want to continue to see more representation for people of color, for Black women. That's something that is really important to me. More people with natural hair, which you see now more, way more than ever. But I think something that I would actually like to see change that hasn't really yet is ageism. I think especially in beauty, Mm. it is very youth centric even though now some magazines are starting to say we won't use the term anti-aging in our publications anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, are you still implying though that uh, aging is bad? And it just depends on like the way, the terminology, it's just, I still feel like it's almost a crime to get older according to the beauty industry. Mm. And something that bothers me too is like, especially with influencer marketing, a lot of brands use like people in their twenties to advertise skincare. And it's like, I didn't even start my skincare routine until I turned 30. So seeing what it's like, unless it's targeted to Gen Z, then of course that makes sense. But it's, if it's like a heritage brand advertising, like a hyperpigmentation serum for like fine lines or something like that, then why is it like a 21 year old (laughs) who's showing me how to use this product? So I I would like to see an expansion and just seeing more like models and influencer campaigns with more mature women and just less ageism in general. 
in the beauty industry. That's real. And particularly when it comes to women, yes. right? Like we have all the pressure to focus on anti-aging. Whereas like, I feel like men don't really have to go through that unless I'm wrong, but I, I feel like it, the majority of the pressure falls yeah. on women to look youthful and it's so unfair. <laughs> um, EA, what about you? What do you um, predict for the future? Or, like, what do you hope to see more of? What I hope to see more of, and for me, it always comes down to this investment in the Black community and in the POC community at large, because I don't think that it's fair or the most progressive for these huge brands that we've seen for, you know, generations to like keep being at the forefront of the beauty movement, because we know that innovation you know, historically, it always comes from, you know, brown and black folks. So let's get, you know, the money in the hands of brown and black folks to develop their brands. And I like to see when these big box brands um, do campaigns to invest in um, these smaller, you know, you know, black and brown brands like Sephora. Um, I think they have a Kickstarter and they invested in Topicals and Topicals is an Asian and black owned brand. And I support them so much because that's the direction I want to see us moving in. Mm. I want to see us moving in the, in the direction in the beauty industry and scientific formulas that are good for our skin, but are developed by folks of color who are the ones experiencing issues like you were talking about before, like the hyperpigmentation, like I don't see enough branding for hyperpigmentation that's shown on black and brown people who are the most likely and the most, you know, genetically predisposed to have, you know, the, the dark spots on our faces and things like that. And also I want to see the beauty industry stop saying you, uh, sunscreen is universal or it's clear or it's sheer when it's actually not tested on black and brown folks. It's embarrassing. It's so outdated and it just really needs to stop. Fully Oof. agree. You said oh. a whole, a whole word. Oh gosh. And it's so interesting because um, like what you were talking about with funding is Francesca and I were just talking about this and about how, you know, black women just don't get a lot of funding. I mean, black female startup founders received just 0.34% of total venture capital, which is insane. Um, and that number shows we don't often get access to the support we need to give us, you know, our best shot at success. So I definitely want to see more investment in uh, people of color and especially women of color, black women founded companies in the beauty space. And plus, let's be real, like we drive the culture forward. So, you know, a lot of trends start with us. So I want to see us being invested in. I guess this brings me to there's for me personally, like I've been excited that there's been such a big shift in um, demanding sustainable vegan and cruelty-free beauty products. Like that's one, one shift that I've noticed. And that's also like where I want to see the future of beauty headed. Like I want, I want those to just be the norms, like sustainable, vegan, cruelty-free inclusivity. I want those all things to be norms and not things that we have to celebrate <laughs> and, um, you know, applaud brands for doing like, it just needs to be like the norm. I, I don't know if you guys have read or heard about like the IPCC report. Um, but the third and final one just got published and, um, you know, it's just, it's critical to the well-being of people, animals, and our planet that the beauty industry adapts these as a standard because like literally we just can't afford 
to keep doing things as we've been doing. And according to like the recent report that was compiled by 278 scientists, the window continues to rapidly close for staving off the worst effects of the climate crisis. And I'm not even like scaremongering here. Like it's just a legit fact. And it's one that I I still feel like people just aren't panicked by enough. So I want to close out this conversation um, by asking um, how, how have you and or your communities personally been impacted by climate change? EA, I'll let you, I'll let you answer this question first. For me, it's what's going on right now, like down the street for me, like even the view from like my neighborhood pond and right, right across from it was a forest where you could see deers every day and animals and things like that. And now there's this huge ecocide is what I'll call it going on because they've removed this entire forest from my neighborhood all the way back to the freeway to put up this housing complex, this ginormous housing complex. When I know in most cities in America, there's a lot of like unused, you know, homes that are, you know, either gone into foreclosure or, you know, just need renovation. So instead of the city investing in those types of projects, they're allowing investors to come and take the very little trees that we have and just turn it into, you know, additional, you know, probably not very well, you know, structured housing because they put these housing structures up, it seems like almost overnight. So they can't be, you know, that well thought out of in advance. And then, you know, even, you know, further down the street, I'm seeing more and more and more deforestation. And I know Mm. that this is going to lead to, you know, rising temperatures because, you know, last year we went to a family picnic and we noticed the temperature degree drop from being in the park than we noticed from being in our neighborhood. So I'm like, this entire street that they're deforesting is going to lead to a huge temperature spike. And I know for a fact that developers don't care about this and didn't take it under consideration, but I feel like the city or, you know, a larger governing organization needs to start taking this into consideration. And I know that they won't until community members organize against it. So I have to start looking into what's being done, you know, locally and who's organizing about the deforestation happening here. But that's like the most mm. well, the home example that I can think of. And for me, anytime trees are cut down and knowing how long it takes for them to regrow and forest to regenerate, it just really devastates me. Yeah. And it sounds like this one, this example is close to home, so to speak. Um, and that's, that's devastating. Um, what about you, Francesca, personally, or maybe in your travels? What have you come across? So I'm from California, and we are having a record drought. There's wildfires all the time now, and it's at a point of crisis. I actually have a briefing that I'm going to go to that the governor, I believe, is setting up this week to talk about it, and they want influencers to understand how bad it is so that we could hopefully at least let people know because it's mm-hmm. reaching a critical point. Um, even just, I see it even going back to beauty in my skin. I mean, I have, I had an eczema patch pop up. I haven't had eczema on my face in years. Wow. Yeah. And I know it's because the air is just so dry here now. And it makes me sad. It like it upsets me because I don't understand. I know how we got here. It's lack of rain, but also just mismanagement of resources. So mm-hmm. that is upsetting. And then even as a world traveler, I go to the Caribbean all the time, at least once or twice a year. 
And I mean, the hurricanes even have just gotten stronger. They've gotten more frequent mm. and it's very obvious that we're already here. Like people talk about global warming as if it's something that's coming and it's like, <laughs> In the future, I'm no, no expert by any means, but I can look outside yeah. of my window and see that we're already here. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, we've been here. And actually I love the point you brought up about them involving influencers, because one thing that I really want to see going forward is I want environmental influencers to not be the only ones talking about this. Like if we really want to affect change, we need everybody talking about this, right? Because if we're the only ones talking about it, like us vegans and us environmentalists, we're talking to people who already know about environmentalism, already are trying to be sustainable. You know, they're already there, right? But like we need the people who have audiences who might not really understand climate change or don't know anything about sustainability. We need people who aren't in this space to reach those people. So like, I I love that they're involving um, influencers like of all kinds and not just, you know, the people who are actually in this space. So that's great. So before we go, let's just do like a quick bonus round, a quick fire round. I want you to just like answer these questions really quick. All right. So first, do you have any vegan beauty products that you're crushing on right now? Francesca, you go first and then EA. Yeah, so the lip bar, actually. I um, just did a full face with their products yesterday and their products are vegan and cruelty-free and uh, Black women-owned. And they use really great like skincare-inspired ingredients in their concealers and their face products and they're really high quality. So it's a win all around. Nice, love lip bar. All right, EA, your turn, quick bar round. I'm going to have to go with Naturium Skincare. It's um, a brand owned by Susan Yara, who is of Asian and Mexican ancestry. And it's really easy to find. It's at Target. They have so many, you know, unique, different formulations, but they're all really high quality. And I'm obsessed with skincare. And I find that um, her skincare is really effective and it works really well for my skin. And I just love the fact that you know, you can get, you know, most products for around 20 bucks. Okay, nice. And what's a beauty product you used as a kid that you would never be caught using today? Francesca. Oh, wow. Um, you know, never say never, but I would say hair grease, like traditional <laughs> okay. hair grease. I remember hair grease. Yes. Like the yellow one or like the blue one. I, I don't see myself putting that back on my scalp again. But I mean, I guess never say never, but that would be mine. I mean, if you go back and listen to our very first episode of Beauty and Impact, you might think twice about it because it's, it's we don't know where, uh, what chemicals were in that, those hair greases and where they were getting those blue and yellow colors from, but. Right, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, EA, what about you? Okay, speaking of hair, I don't remember the name for it, but it was that black gel that, you know, we used to like relax our hair and like shape it into the different styles with like this black, really hard, like it turned into like, like a hard gel on your mm. hair. Was it called jam? jam. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was called. Yeah, I remember that it was black and it's like scary to think about now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Skincare influencer you love. Go Francesca me <laughs> yeah all right you heard it folks y'all go follow Francesca one girl one world she is a skincare influencer yeah are you gonna say the same thing yourself <laughs> I mean I could say that but I'm like really obsessed with like black and brown dermatologists on social media they hmm. they're really doing their thing like maybe I would say like um Alexis Dr. Alexis I'm trying I'm struggling to think of her last name but 
Um, you know, she's really doing her thing. Brown, you know, beauty doc is doing their thing. There's so many really good uh, black female dermatologists on social media that are doing the influencer work. I love it. That's so true. Yeah. I love that um, actual experts in this space are like becoming influencers, like the dermatologists, the estheticians, all that. That's awesome. All right. What's the easiest sustainable skincare tip someone can implement starting today? Francesca. Meissler water. I love Meissler water. You'd have to use a re- reusable cotton pads, I think, to make it sustainable, but mm-hmm. it removes your makeup, cleans your face without using water or like traditional washing. Love it. Yeah. So implement it with a reusable, um, cotton round and there you go. You got a sustainable routine. Okay. What about you, EA? What's a sustainable skincare tip? I'm going to go with something similar, but I'm going to say using your hands to apply moisturizing toners or even Mm. any toners for that matter. You don't even need um, a cotton round for them because you're not cleaning your face with them. You're just like letting them absorb into your skin Mm -hmm. and you don't create, you don't create any waste by using your hands. Fantastic. All right, ladies, that was a great quick fire round. Thank you for uh, sharing your wisdom today. And uh, this episode is very special because it's our season finale. And I'm just so happy that you guys took the time to to do this with us and close out Beauty and Impact um, with us. So um, let's just end it by uh, telling everyone, you know, where they can find you both online and on social media. Francesca, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I'm One Girl, One World across platforms, majorly on Instagram and then my blog, onegirlonworld.com with a dash in between. With Yeah, with a dash in between. That's right. And without the I? Yeah, on Instagram, it's GRL. Yes, it's GRL. Okay. And EA, how can people find you? I'm EA Loves Life on all my social media platforms. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So my first name is spelled I-Y-E and then Loves Life. Thank you, ladies. All right. Thank you for tuning into Beauty and Impact today. If you got any gems from this episode, please subscribe to us wherever you're listening and show us some love by writing a review. It helps other beauties looking to make an impact just like you find the show so they can listen too. And while you're waiting for the next episode to drop, just go ahead and hit us up on Instagram at Beauty and Impact. We'd love to hear from you. All right. That's it. We'll catch you in the next episode with more green tea on beauty and sustainability. 